Okay, welcome to week 54, Bhagavad Gita class. This is chapter 16, part 2, of the Divine and Demoniac Natures. <clears throat> so, Lord Krishna described the uh, qualities of the Divine uh, very briefly, very wonderfully, um, in the first maybe two or three verses. In the rest of the chapter, he's describing the demonic nature, but then at the end of the chapter, um, he gets into how do we uh, avoid the demonic nature, and how do we fully embrace the divine nature? So, uh, Gangay Prabhu, he asked some really nice questions. First, why do you think Lord Krishna speaks so many more verses in this chapter on the demonic nature than on divine nature? So, I had a few thoughts if anybody else wants to chime in. So, one is Hare Krishna. Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna. Hare Krishna. One is. Yeah, that would be nice, actually. One is is that the demoniac nature is so prominent in Kali Yuga. So, shedding light on what is demoniac. Uh, we are often bewildered and mistake demoniac nature with divine. Krishna is therefore clearly distinguishing between the two by focusing on what isn't divine so we know what is what. Because because even in you know in the description of demoniac, you know that one particular part says they perform sacrifice and give in charity, and thus they consider themselves you know, very happy. Mm-hmm. And so one can think, oh, I'm you know I'm giving in charity, I'm doing sacrifice, but one can still be in the demoniac nature because they're giving they're giving charity in the modes of passion and ignorance. They're doing sacrifice in the mode of passion and ignorance. So. This is still demoniac. So Krishna is helping us see. Well, maybe I wasn't. Maybe I'm not uh, who I thought I was in society. <laughs> you know, I thought I was a big charitable person, but actually I, I had these demonic qualities. So we can clearly see how we are influenced by material energy to behave demonically, and make a resolution to steer clear by following Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. So, is there any other discussion on why do you think Krishna uh, focuses so much on the demonic? Nature? Does that make sense? Do you all agree with that? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. If you know what isn't divine nature, then you know what is. <laughs> right. So the contrast is there in the Vedic literature, so we can like clearly see where do I stand, and where do I, where do I need to go, or what progress do I need to make. Sometimes we've got to know what not to do before we know what to do. Yeah, right. You know, so it's kind of the same principle. Yeah, and in Patanjali's yoga ladder, the first thing is yama. Right. Like, what should I not do? Yeah. So yama, then niyama. Then what should, what should I do? Okay, so then he asked the question, what are the three gates leading to hell? All together? Lust, anger, and greed. And so, give reasons why we should avoid them. So Srila Prabhupada said, a sane man who does not want to glide down to the species of demoniac life, that's a good reason to avoid, right? (laughs) Must try to give up these three enemies, which can kill the self to such an extent that there will be no possibility of liberation from this material entanglement. And he further uh, states, the man who has escaped these three gates of hell, I'm sorry, this is Krishna, the man who has escaped these three gates of hell, O son of Kunti, performs acts conducive to self-realization and thus gradually attains a supreme destination. So without giving them up, there's no question on, on pursuing the path of righteousness 
and attaining um, transcendental realization. Um, when we glide down, we simply become covered more, suffer more in the material energy. And then uh, the question is, why is it beneficial to follow the instructions given in the scriptures? So Srila Prabhupada says, one gradually raises himself to the platform of spiritual realization. If one is so fortunate by such practice to rise to the platform of Krishna consciousness, then success is guaranteed to him. He uses guaranteed a lot in this section, by the way. It's very wonderful. By cultivating knowledge of this process, one can be elevated to the highest position of self-realization. This self-realization is perfected in devotional service. In that devotional service, the liberation of the conditioned soul is guaranteed. Therefore, according to the Vedic system, there are instituted the four orders of life and four statuses of life called the caste system and the spiritual order system. There are different rules and regulations for different castes or, or divisions of society, and if a person is able to follow them, he will be automatically raised to the highest platform of spiritual realization. Then he can have liberation without a doubt. So guaranteed without a doubt. He's convincing us. Then the second part of the question is, what happens to those who disregard them? And Krishna answers this. Uh, he who discards the scriptural injunctions and acts according to his own whims attains neither perfection nor happiness nor the supreme destination. And then Prabhupada further states, everyone is expected to follow these rules and regulations. If one does not follow them and, and acts whimsically according to his lust, greed, and desire, then he never will be perfect in his life. In other words, a man may theoretically know all these things, but if he does not apply them in his own life, then he is to be known as the lowest of mankind. In the human form of life, a living entity is expected to be sane and to follow the regulations given for elevating his life to the highest platform. But if he does not follow them, then he degrades himself. But even if he follows the rules and regulations and moral principles, it ultimately does not come to the stage of understanding the Supreme Lord, that all of his knowledge becomes spoiled. And even if he accepts the existence of God, if he does not engage himself in the service of the Lord, his attempts are spoiled. So we remember previously Krishna said, all the Vedas are meant to know me. I'm the compiler of the Vedas, Vedas I'm the knower of the Vedas. And this whole process given throughout this vast body of literature is to, to know Krishna. So if we don't reach that point of knowing Krishna, then we can still hover on the, um, the pious platform, which means there's every chance that we can be impious as well. Um, because they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. Sometimes we're pious, sometimes we're impious. Um, but piety um, is good because it creates a more fertile environment to, to know God, to think of God, um, and to ultimately begin the process of, of devotional service. So I'm going to refer to my trusty friend, Krishnanam Prabhu. Right. Okay. By the way, he missed the first Bhagavad Gita class last week because he was sick. Yeah, I did. First one out of 54. First one out of 54, yeah. Wow. Okay. Two. Where are we? <laughs> uh, 16, chapter. We're doing the uh, second half of the chapter. Sorry. 11. 11, yeah. 11, 24. 11 through 24, yeah. So I picked the verse uh, uh, 24, actually, for my, uh, my discovery. 
so one should therefore understand what is duty and what is not duty by the regulations of the scriptures. Knowing such rules and regulations, one should act so, uh, uh, act so that he may gradually be elevated. So my understanding of that is understand what is to be done and not done in life. That the rules and regulations in the scriptures guide you in these matters of how to act and how not to act so you may gradually advance to the proper platform of self-realization. And as far as the application, Prabhupada puts it best in the purport. I can't put it any better than that. Um, so I took a section out of that. Uh, if one understands Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita, and become situated in Krishna consciousness, engaging himself in devotional service, he has reached the highest perfection of knowledge offered by the Vedic literature. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made this process very easy. He asked people simply to chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, and to engage in the devotional service of the Lord and eat the remnants of foodstuff offered to the deity. One who is directly engaged in all these devotional activities is to be understood as having um, re, uh, studied all Vedic literature. He has come to the conclusion perfectly. How are you going to apply it? That's how I apply it. It's actually doing that. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Can I answer? laughs> yes. <laughs> Just remember, Prabhupada was just saying, you know, if it's, if it's theoretical, then it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't do us any good. So. Yeah. For my discovery, I had um, chosen the I'd chosen the text thirteen through fifteen. And the translation is that the demoniac person thinks, "So much wealth do I have today, and I will gain more according to my schemes. So much is mine now, and it will increase in the future more and more." He is my enemy, and I have killed him, and my other enemies will also be killed. I am the Lord of everything. I am the enjoyer. I am perfect, powerful, and happy. I am the richest man surrounded by aristocratic relatives. There is none so powerful and happy as I am. I shall perform sacrifices. I shall give some charity, and thus I shall rejoice. End quote. In this way, such persons are deluded by ignorance. And... What I had written about that was that these demons are considered of hell because their only sense of identity is in that God has not, does not, or will ever exist because their own form of identity is taking on these qualities of being the most wealthy or the possessor of all these opulences. And this is illusion so that they can concoct their own um, idols and deities for worship, for their own sense gratification, economic development, and... and um, fulfill their own selfish means. This conception of hell is in itself an illusion because you could go to hell or go astray. Who cares when God's everywhere anyway? Ra's rays emanate every day. I must be prepared to hear all forms of concocted forms of worship and deities as well as an educated deviance from the atheistic caste. They think that people created God and not vice versa. And so it has people... And so it has people that will create God in their own image after their likeness, and that heaven will be as fantastic as their own imagination. Um, ha as fantastic as their imagination has allotted for them, so as deep as their imagination goes. However, they will not achieve the heavenly abode of their own imagination without the mercy of Krishna. And these demons will not agree to listen submissively to the authoritative revealed scriptures or of uh, Krishna 
from factual information revealed about him. And instead, they will only be interested in argument or conversation on their behalf, in which they will say, will you agree to listen to my own concocted personal conception? And make many philosophical points as to convince you to convert, so be warned. So how would that make you a better devotee understanding that? Um, to be wary of people that concoct their own um, image of what the supreme is or to convince you that God is dead or any form of scientism, atomism, relativism, anything that could conceptually kill God is already um, in the mode of ignorance, so we have to transcend above that. Thank you. I thought I was speaking about how these self-proclaimed gods, uh, they become very popular in society, um, and they misguide the mass of people. And so we really have to see through the eyes of self-realized souls and Shastra to see who is a genuine spiritual person and follow those people. Because people say so many things. (laughs) And um, we, we often, you know, Due to our imperfect senses, we become easily swayed by these things if we're not rooted in this, this transcendental knowledge. Because some, somebody you know, appears fantastic and even has some mystic potencies or flowery language. Exactly. Yeah, good point. And, uh, and so we, we just get enamored and we follow those people, and then later on we, we, uh, we feel like. Wow, I, I wasted my life. I uh, we're become embarrassed <laughs> following such people. So, okay, who else would like to share? Yeah, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, but you know, I read this when I was on vacation. I got to chapter eighteen. And I was just kind of doing some uh, reviewing. There was a couple of things that popped out to me. This this particular section in uh, text twenty um, that the, the the text says attaining repeated birth among amongst the species of demoniac life, O son of Kunti, such persons can never approach me. I mean, that's never approach me. That's pretty pretty substantial coming from Krishna. Gradually, they sink down to the most abominable type of existence. Um, And then in the purport, Prabhupada says, um, It is known that God is all-merciful, but here we find that God is never merciful to the demoniac. What's up? No, I'm just doing that. Oh. It is clearly stated that... It looks like you had something. It is clearly stated that the demoniac people... Life after life are put into the wombs of similar demons. And, not achieving the mercy of the Supreme Lord, they go down and down, so that at last they achieve bodies like those of cats, dogs, and hogs. It is clearly stated that such demons have practically no chance of receiving the mercy of God at any stage of later life. Um, In the Vedas, also, it is stated that such persons gradually sink to become dogs and hogs. Oh, I'm sorry, did I just read that line twice? 
Uh, maybe then argued in this connection that God should not be advertised. This is the line that really gets. And maybe then argued in this connection that God should not be advertised. That's all merciful. If he is not merciful to such demons. In answer to this question, in the Vedanta Sutra, we find that the Supreme Lord has no hatred for anyone. The placing of the Asuras, the demons, in the lowest status of life is simply another feature of His mercy. Sometimes the Asuras are killed by the Supreme Lord, but this killing is also good for them. For in Vedic literature, we find that anyone who is killed by the Supreme Lord becomes liberated. There are instances in history of many Asuras, Ravana, Kamsa, Hiranyakashipu, to whom the Lord appeared in various incarnations just to kill them. Therefore, God's mercy is shown to the Asuras if they are fortunate enough to be killed by Him. Um, this is really interesting. My understanding of this, um, or at least what I get from this when I read it, is that, you know, Krishna, He is giving us our desires. And unfortunately, there are some people that they are putting themselves in this position of falling down to the lower species of life. Um, they want to they wanna be in these, uh, in these conditions due to their activities, due to their desires. Um, Prabhupada does say some things that are really interesting, though. Um, God should not be advertised as all-merciful. Because even God's even even God's mercy is still being extended to these to these people, even in these lower forms of life, just in different ways. Um, like he's explaining here that even the Lord being you know killing one of these uh, demons is is God's mercy, because they attain liberation, right? So I find that really interesting. But I you know my my question is like I even think about Shiva, you know, like Shiva is you know, above Tamas, and he is associating with these really, really low demoniac beings, and his, even Krishna's mercy is, is being extended through, through the personality of Shiva. Um, so I, I, I see that even still, I, I think that God's mercy even extends to them, even in those lower forms of life. Um, but I don't know, it's just interesting the way that Krishna says here that these people, such people can never approach me. And I understand why he says that, because it is of their own doing. So anyways, just some random thoughts that I had in my mind. And my application is to, uh, is to never allow myself to never forget Krishna, to always remember Krishna. And if I am able to always remember Krishna, then I'll be saved from falling into these lower species of life. Um, yeah. That's it. That's it for me. Thank you. One time after Bhagavatam class, Sandami was like, I'll take that way of liberation. <laughs> Just like so much work going into way. It's like they could be using some of them. <laughs> yeah. Just one swipe and they're back to that. <laughs> if we know someone like this and we love someone like this and, and we can't talk about Krishna to someone like this what, what can we do? You just, you just be the best devotee you can be can and uh, the, the best way we can help them is we become pure devotees and, and, and we, we can also pray for them and we can also um, give them prasadam and uh, we can pray for an opportunity to introduce Krishna to them in some way 
But the most important thing is to be the best devotee you can possibly be. Because then you're going to have the spiritual potency to, um, to help so many people, you know? So just like, you know, the saying, when, when, we, when we can help ourselves, we can help others. So, yeah. And, and to respond to you, Michelle, is that these um, demons aren't, like, cursed from the very get-go. Like, at their birth, they aren't, like, born as demons. They come right. to it out of their own free will. And it's because of the association they've had is most of their life they've never come into contact with a devotee. It's always been association with demons and their ideologies and their philosophies. And so they, um, in order to believe anything, they must believe the lies they've been told. And that's um, once you believe the lies you've been told to the degree that you're just repeating it to other people to convince them that it's all a lie and... It's very nihilistic and depressing, and there's people like that you wish you could reach out to, but we do have that opportunity as devotees to reach out to people that save them from degrading themselves to demoniac life for this entire duration of one lifetime. They can be redeemed of their sins. So it's also interesting to look at Prabhupada's, you know, when he came over to the United States, I mean, he came in the middle of the 60s, you know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll, you know, and it was just this whole, I mean, circus of demoniac activity, I mean, they're just so lost, everybody was so lost, and here he was, in the middle of it all, by himself, you know, and he was just chanting Hare Krishna, and he was giving prasadam when he could, and he was, you know, teaching them, you know, so, I mean, it just setting an example. I think is the best way. You know, just live the life, as, as a tool within the set, just live the life of a, of a, the best you can of a pure devotee and just set that example. And eventually, hopefully, it'll influence as time goes by. You know? Might happen in this life, it might not. Might not, you but know? You'll, set a, you'll set a seed. So. Right, yeah. right. Because those people might be on their journey too, like they're, they're going through that, you know, through that journey of, of experiencing these, these particular things. Um, you know, these demoniac qualities we can all have, you know what I mean? Like, Radhanath Swami always talks about, you know, which dog are you going to feed in the fight? Or which, is it like that? Or the wolf? Yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah. so we can feed, you know, we have the free will to feed the dark wolf or the, or the, or the, or the light wolf. So, my experience, you know, I think what Atua says is right on, like, when we were trying so hard to change people, it never worked. It just always backfired. We realized we can't change anyone except ourselves. So the only thing that we can do is change ourselves. And then our example, if these people love us and we have those genuine connections with them, they're going to see that. They're going to see something good. And I think that that speaks volumes. Like, honestly, for us, it's been how we've been able to reach our families. It's how Radha's mom is now chanting every single day. And at some point she thought that we were completely, you know, she thought that we were like, just like crazy. And they were crying and they were scared and they were worried and all these things. But now she's chanting every day. And what was the, what was the catalyzing element? It was the fact that, as the tool said, we just continue to give them that love. So even if they were giving us something, we gave them something different. So we didn't reflect back 
what they were giving us because we didn't have that. We, we didn't want to give. That's not what we had inside of us. We just wanted to give them Krishna and Krishna's love. And, and even this verse, what this verse is saying, that he is all merciful because he's even extending his mercy to these people in these lower states by killing them, <laughs> by liberating them. And in many other ways. So anyway, hopefully that makes sense. As, um, so it's going to sound sort of funny, but I, I was wondering if it was okay to uh, play kirtan while like taking a shower. So I looked it up and the answer said that um, it seemed to be from PowerPod. And I don't know if this is what you've heard or right, but it said that you could even chant the mantra while washing, while washing the body. But I did... Um, read what I hadn't re uh, read in a while was the ten offenses and one of them was uh, not to preach uh, Krishna consciousness to somebody who doesn't want to hear it and I sort of forgotten that and so it seems pretty important to you know not like push it too much if somebody's not like interested at all you know is that how, that's, that's a statement and a question. So. Yeah. Well, you know, Krishna also recommend, recommends to not share with those who, who don't want to receive it. But then Prabhupada in the purport says that the devotees understand the mood, the heart of the Lord. They're, they're more merciful than the Lord, so they extend the mercy of the Lord even to those who may not want to hear it. They try to, try to spark some interest somehow in them. But it's, it's a fine balance because sometimes we can, we can do more harm than good. We go about it in the wrong way, and so we have to. It has to be like a really delicate balance. But there's there's always some way. There's always some way to give them something. Everyone like Prabhupada. Food. Yeah, exactly. Food, exactly. Cookies. He loves cookies. <laughs> so <laughs> Prabhupada he said if if one tree in the forest is filled with fragrant flowers, then the you'll the whole forest will smell like flowers when the breeze blows. So if you become you become more and more effulgent through getting close to God, you actually take on godly qualities because that's your nature. You actually have the same quality as, as God, as Krishna. So as you begin to become more effulgent, your spiritual nature becomes, illuminates your body, then people will, will take notice. It's this way, like when Lord Jaitanya, he sat amongst the, the Mayavad sannyasis, remember Prakashananda Saraswati, and uh, they couldn't ignore him because he was so beautiful and effulgent. Because they had before, they had dismissed him. They had said, oh, that, that Jaitanya, he's, a, he's just a sentimentalist. But when he actually came in their midst, they couldn't ignore him. <laughs> he was so beautiful. They said, they said he must be Narayan himself. Please tell us, you know, why do you ignore the Vedanta and, and do this sentimental dancing? And uh, so the Lord then, he then converted all, all the Mayavads and the Sinyasis, so. So, yeah, we just can um, pray to the Lord to be conduits of His mercy. Because like Govinda Mahaprabhu was saying in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, we can't, we can't uh, convince anybody to do anything. We can't perform action, we can't produce fruits of action, and we can't um, convince people to do anything. Because it's all working within the modes of nature. But when we step outside the modes of nature and become... Uh, handpiece of God, then uh, we, we can do something wonderful. We can also lift people up to a higher platform. And that's the only way. Otherwise, we're thinking we're doing, and others are thinking they're doing, and it's just the modes of energy working.
is actually we're just like going for a ride on this yantra, on this material energy, this body. So the truth, <clears throat> the truth will come through if we're sincere in our going towards Krishna. Yeah. It'll naturally emanate. Yeah, it will flow through us. That's like part of plugging into the brahmapara. We, we, we become part of that conduit all the way from Krishna, bringing the mercy of God to the world. That's, that's the goal. And, and the, 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 the purity that by which we, we perform our practices allows this current to flow through us. Um, so that's a lot of what in this chapter is about. To, to, to gain these divine qualities, we have to um, be really diligent to follow the spiritual practices. So, um, one, oh, one thing I wanted to, uh, Govinda Manaprabhu, Govinda Manaprabhu was saying, that, that particular verse, actually, like Krishna says, they can never attain me. When I first read that verse, when it really struck me what Krishna said, I was so disturbed that I called uh, Kirtan Yagya Prabhu. I said, what is, what is Krishna saying here? <laughs> and um, so I, I understand now, like, like for instance, you ever heard somebody say, or you even said, like, you become frustrated and you say, oh, I can never, I can never do that, or I can never be successful. But when you say never, you basically mean, like, in my sort of little life, right? <laughs> we're, we're thinking. So when, when Krishna describes never, or he describes nitya, nitya bada, which means eternally conditioned, it actually doesn't mean never. It just means a very, 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 very long time, and it could seem like an eternity. It's so long within the scope of, of material time that it's, it's more or less considered like forever. <laughs> it's so long. Um, but again, um, the mercy of the Lord, like it falls on everyone, and everybody has their time. At some point or another, the souls rise again to the human form of life. Although it's extremely rare. Extremely. Once we go down, we can stay down a long time. A very long time. I think one of the key points to that is also, is I think that never means you could never attain it if you continue to be demoniac in your nature. But you have the opportunity to change. You have a choice. So that's, that's the thing. You know, so I, I, never is kind of a relative in that way because of the fact that. In that mode, the, they can never. Yeah, they can never in that mode. That's but if the you, but, yeah, but if you change it, then you can, of course. On that path. Yeah. yeah. But once we're in the animal form, though, we're like relying on Krishna's mercy. It seems like right because we don't have a choice in what to do, good or bad, or become a yeah. vegetarian lion, even though I've heard of one. But. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so. Both of those are really good points. Isn't exactly. there in the verse in the Bhagavad Gita something like uh, something like? Uh, I mean, this is major paraphrasing, but something like: if you're a devotee, then you're protected from the greatest danger, and the greatest danger is to take an animal form of life. Yeah, so that that goes right along the lines. Is if we go down, we can stay down a long time. Yeah, we don't want to go down. Because <laughs> yeah, because like like Nick Prabhu was saying, it's. It's a, we're more or less, we're just going to go through the evolutionary process at some point, get a human body again. But we can't turn to God generally in the lower forms of life. And there's sometimes exceptions. Like even the lower return forms, Tinkertan and Jarikan forest. Yeah, if you have the mercy maybe of, of an animal, like you're doing your rounds, you're mm-hmm. chanting. 
Well, the lizard comes along the ground mm-hmm. and he hears you chanting. I always think about that. You know, I mean, then he's got mercy. Yeah, that's a, that's a you know, so in other words, and my dog's a perfect example. You know, I have my little dog, and every time I sit and do japa, he sits right by me. You know? He just does it automatically. That's a so, good but he's, point. But he's yeah. hearing it. So, in other words, in for the next lifetime, he'll be able to. Yeah. So there is that special mercy that's yeah. sometimes there. But generally, if you think about the multitude of living entities in the lower forms of life. Right. So there's a lot more souls in the lower forms of life than in the human form, right? Way more. Way more. Oh, yeah. Way more. Microbes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's cycle, cycling, cycling in these lower forms. Right. Yeah. Uh, people's tendency to refuse Krishna's mercy will become more grave. The gravity of it will begin to affect them, especially in the latter years of their life of approaching death, because the feeling of death approaching will actually cause you to um, reckon out to whatever higher power you ignored in the past, and the only thing that you could feel is, I wish I had obtained you sooner, I wish I um, could have learned more about you so that I could call to you specifically, because everyone was warning me about it, and I, I had ignored them for my own um, selfish ways, but these um, people like um, that are friends that m- may seem like they're uh, demons within this, within this lifetime, and you were saying about this never... Thing, like a hypothetical is like we don't have Krishna's transcendental vision in order to see them throughout the duration of their entire life into the the transmigration of the soul is that we can't see if they're going to depend on the mercy of God as soon as everybody's left them in this material world yeah good um, did anybody else want to share or have we exhausted our I just want to say about love well, Prabhu was saying about how mercy, how merciful Krishna is, but but Lord Chaitanya, Krishna in his form of Lord Chaitanya is a lot more merciful, because he's imbibing the moods of Radharani. So, because Krishna has that one verse in Bhagavad Gita, something like, uh, "I reward them accordingly as they surrender to me. I reward them accordingly," but Lord Chaitanya, he even gives mercy if you don't surrender to him. That's a good point. Um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, as all approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. So if somebody wants to know me more, I reciprocate. If somebody wants to forget me, I reciprocate. But as Lord Jaitanya, he's in such a jubilant mood that he's just giving freely to everyone. <laughs> Lord Nityananda. Lord Nityananda. Oh, yeah. they're, just, they're, not, they're not discriminating anybody who comes in contact. They're just giving mercy. That's the mood of Lord Chaitanya. So that's why we were speaking of Jerry Khan Forest, where the animal oh. the animals were liberated because they're all doing sacred. <laughs> There's a, the whole forest. There, so many forest animals are following the Lord. There's a big sacred time. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's yeah. Is that a point in in the material universe's history in which the animals were finally elevated to human bodies, or is that they were liberated into the transcendental realm? This thing about liberating the animals, was this a specific point in history where all these um, breeds of animals had been elevated to a human form of life, like all their generations, and and the fact that they'd have been trapped in this animal form for the duration of however many species there are? It's it's not really like a specific time, it's like always happening. So Prabhupada said like all, all the species of life are simultaneously present 
throughout the, the universes. So they're, they're always cycling through. It's kind of like an, like an inventory. Once, once, um, once soul leaves a body, because like think about it, like souls are constantly dying and they're constantly taking birth. So these souls that are dying, they're constantly going to to a new body. So um, this, yeah. Uh, I just were you saying like whether they took human form or if they were sent back to Godhead? Yeah, you're saying they were like liberated, but I don't know if that means like um, they took a human form or if at any other point in the Vedas humans became elevated to human forms of life. No, they're, they're always there. The whole spectrum is there. Well, that's like in the frame of time, like there's humans mm-hmm. and animals coexisting, but in this um, miracle of Chaitanya, where they become liberated, do they become liberated to the platform of human life and be brought from there? Sometimes they would go right back to Godhead. Like Shiva Nanda Shane, he had a dog, and it said that that dog um, went, went back to Godhead receiving Krishna's mercy. So yeah, I mean, every, every case is different, but there are gener- generalities. And generally, as I understand, the animals, if they get mercy, they take a human form. But it's not always the case. Krishna can do anything. So. And that, yeah. What is it, Jadikam Boris, that particular mm-hmm. pastime, that's Krishna. That's, you know, Krishna in the form of uh, Chaitanya, who's, you know, it's, it, it's a very, <laughs> I don't think we've ever seen, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that. I mean, these, yeah. these animals are chanting our Krishna. You know, they're hugging one another. They're kissing one another. I mean, they're they're in ecstasy. So I would think that these these animals have just come across Krishna's mercy directly. I mean, they're, they're going back home. Yeah, I mean, they're going back like home. That's, and chanting yeah, with the Lord. I mean, that's that's, <laughs> that's a pretty good sign. That's I, I would I would take that position anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Lord. Jaitanya's Jarikamila as an animal. I would, yeah, I'll take, I would that, take that position. I'm just picturing a bear <laughs> chanting the Mahamantra. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> There's elephants, rhinoceros, tigers. Yep. Okay, so uh, Mari Mohini, I'll read her contribution. <clears throat> and she was just in time. She, was, she messaged me and said, I don't think I'm going to get it in time. But she did, like usual. Okay, she said, Uh, from chapter 16, text 11 and 12, the demoniac accept that the enjoyment of the senses is the ultimate goal of life, and this concept they maintain until death. Understanding. Sense gratification is what motivates the living entities. Consequently, they accumulate a lot of money, sometimes by illegal means, to be able to enjoy life. The demoniac ones do not come to Krishna consciousness and do not change before death. Therefore, they transmigrate to lower forms of life. The ultimate goal of life actually is to realize that one is meant to serve the Lord, to purify one's consciousness and go back to Godhead. Sense gratification keeps one entangled with maya. Very good. Excellent. Application. One should avoid sense gratification and please Krishna's senses instead. I pray the Lord that he gradually removes sense gratification from my life, and it is my conscious intention to avoid it. But as Srila Prabhupada said, we enjoy our senses more in Krishna consciousness. But we do it in a purified way. So, like, I always say I've had the best food I've ever had since you don't need Krishna. <laughs> so, but it's purified. Because our senses you need to have a higher taste, like Prabhupada says, to to give up sense gratification. Mm-hmm. So you have nothing to replace it with. Exactly. <laughs> right. 
and our senses aren't dulled down when we're sober and more pure and partaking in okay. drugs and alcohol. Our senses yeah. are dulled. So. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's so a great point. Our awakening, are more alive and, and awakening our, um, our purified senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, I see. (laughs) Were you done? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I chose text 22. And it says, Man who has escaped these three gates of hell, son of Kunti, performs acts conducive to self-realization and thus gradually attain the supreme destination. You know, after reading all this, like, hellish stuff and all that stuff it it was like okay good you know like because it it made me feel like oh my god we we have to hand like deal with all these things like our mind and changing bodies and our ego and all this stuff but then that reminded me that you know god so kindly like left us a practice that we can transcend all of this because if not we would be totally and completely helpless so it, it, it just gave me, after all that, like, oh, my God, overwhelmness of all the negative, it gave me, like, that sense of, like, gratitude and being okay. So it was really nice to read that. There's a solution. Right. And, and it just gave me a sense of gratitude and a sense of, like, well, how kind you are. Even though we're, like, in this, like, state, you're still, like, extending your mercy and, like, just giving freely through Lord Chaitanya and all these things. So it was really sweet to just read it. Um, and my application to that is just to always remind myself that I that I am in this world. So it's so easy for me to just like fall back into things. But if I just keep going and I keep practicing and I keep dedicating most of my time into developing and, and growing in my bhakti, then there's hope for me. <laughs> Kind of like a Noah's Ark in the Bible. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just like there's water everywhere, but then he sees a rainbow, right? right. It's like, okay, no, there's, this is a sign of God that there's hope. Right. And um, like when you're, in, when you're in a really painful or dark situation, it can seem like, God, this is, I'm never going to get out of this. Like, like when you're suffering, it feels like it's going to go on forever. Right. But knowing, like you said, knowing that there's, as a, re- a reformatory process to get out. It's like, you know, the state has a reformatory process for criminals. There's a way out. Right. You know, you don't have to be locked up in these cells dealing with all these horrible yes. personalities yeah. around. You don't have to be, you, you can be free. Right. You, can, you can get out of this situation. So yeah, it's a great point. That's really also what this chapter is about, is, is about how we can be free from these things. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's what this is about. Um, okay. <clears throat> so I would like to share um, from 1624 purport. Srila Prabhupada says, As stated in the 15th chapter, all the rules and regulations of the Vedas are meant for knowing Krishna. If one understands Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita and becomes situated in Krishna consciousness, engaging himself in devotional service, he has reached the highest perfection of knowledge offered by the Vedic literature. Lord Jaitanya Mahaprabhu made this process very easy. 
He asked people simply to chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, and to engage in the devotional service of the Lord and eat the remnants of food stuff offered to the deity. One who is directly engaged in all these devotional activities is to be understood as having studied all Vedic literature. He has come to the conclusion perfectly. Of course, for the ordinary persons who are not in Krishna consciousness or who are not engaged in devotional service, what is to be done and what is not to be done must be decided by the injunctions of the Vedas. One should act accordingly without argument. This is called following the principles of Shastra or scripture. Shastra is without the four principal defects that are visible in the conditioned soul. Imperfect senses, the propensity for cheating, certainty of committing mistakes, and certainty of being illusion. These four principal defects in conditioned life disqualify one from putting forth rules and regulations. Therefore, the rules and regulations as described in the Shastra, being above these defects, are accepted without alteration by all great saints, acharyas, and great souls. Jai Prabhupada. This is a um, discovery? Uh, I'm sorry, understanding. Srila Prabhupada refers here to the gradual elevation from Varnashram Dharma to Sadhana Bhakti, culminating in pure devotional service, and the whole realm of Shastric injunctions in between. The path of Raganugabhati, or spontaneous loving devotion to Krishna, does not presuppose that a devotee in this elevated position gives up the regulated principles of Krishna consciousness. There may be situations where it seems this is the case, or that they are temporarily abandoned for a higher principle, or an unseen reason that is pleasing to the Lord, such as in the case of devotees taking birth as demons to fight with the Lord for his pleasure. When one is on the path of Raganuga Bhakti, generally such a devotee naturally follows the rules and regulations of Shastra. It becomes a second nature to act in line with God's way. This is the awakening of our harmonious existence with God. A good example is that when a mother is good, she acts lovingly towards her children. There is no need to tell her not to hurt her children because she is naturally inclined to show kindness, affection, and love. There may be a whole manual written and proposed to the mother about what to do and what not to do in relation with her children. She will rarely, if ever, have to refer to this manual, however, because her loving nature ensures she will go above and beyond these positive and negative prescriptions. So, um, application. My nature has been influenced by lusty desires operating in the three modes of material nature. The Bhakti Acharyas have outlined prescriptive processes to follow to ensure, although at an immature stage, a sincere devotee can make rapid progress on the path of devotional service. My prayers for the strength and intelligence to perpetually take these prescriptions to heart and apply them wholeheartedly in my life. In this way, by Krishna's grace, Maya's grip will lose sway and the path of pure devotional service will open up to embrace us. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like uh, sometimes you see at a pool, they have a, a, like the rules, right? Like don't, don't dive in, don't no diving, or don't bring glass, or no running. And like for people that are immature, like they need this dive, right? So like people that like are a little more intelligent, <laughs> they're not going to dive into like five feet of water, like two feet of water. They're not going to, you know, run around the pool with glass, you know. So, when we mature in devotional service, like, there's no question that you know we're going to catch you know, Krishna Prabhu up you know, at midnight, you know, drinking 
you know, told back in Bud Light or something. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and you don't have to tell him. You don't have to tell him that. Do that. He's mature enough in his consciousness. Naturally, he's not going to do that. So, <clears throat> by the way, everybody keep an eye on Krishna. <laughs> So yeah, this is a wonderful chapter, and I know um, oftentimes, by Shishika Prabhu, like one month of the year, he'll like really try to um, inspire the devotees to read Bhagavad Gita every day. He has a program of a chapter a day of Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. and I know oftentimes, at least one year, he was really focusing on chapter 16. So yeah, read, this is a tough chapter. read chapter 16 every day. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's an important chapter. So, yeah. Okay, any further... Comments? Good. Going on high now. Yeah. What are you going on high now? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you try, Krishna will help you. Oh, yes. You want to sit yes. down? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that a better run, sir? Mm hmm. Okay.